Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Carol Montgomery racked up dozens of TV credits as a stand-up comedian during the 1980s comedy boom, with her first big break coming on Showtime's Comedy All-Stars, hosted by Don Rickles. After giving birth to her only child, she began a 10-year stint in Las Vegas, initially hired by Steve Schrippa at the Riviera, then eventually moving over to the Luxor. After returning to New York City in 2006, she performed on Nick at Night's The Search for the Funniest Mom in America, Comics Unleashed with Byron Allen, and on the TV Guide Network's Stand-Up in Stilettos. But at 48, she couldn't find regular work in the clubs. So she started her own showcase, Funny Women of a Certain Age. It quickly became a fixture back on Showtime, with stand-up showcases airing on the premium cable network in 2019, 2020, and again in 2021. Fran Drescher, who appeared on that first showcase, is now president of the SAG-AFTRA Actors Union. Montgomery's third showcase features actress Terry Hatcher, plus performances by Wendy Lieben, Monique Marvez, Leanne Lord, Marshall Warfield, and Montgomery herself. She joined me to share her first-hand perspective as a funny woman of a certain age. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance. And now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Last things first, uh, two things for last mm-hmm. things first. Congratulations on not your first, not your second, <laughs> but your third yeah. Showtime special. Even Pretty more wild. funny women of a certain age. Thank and you. I guess now we've finally determined what that certain age is. Do, have we really? Do you I know mean, what I mean? Spoiler alert, you do in the, in the opening to the third special say the certain age is 50. Yes, I do. I do. You do. Spoiler alert. But you have to see the show to know what he's talking about. Um, uh, yes, it, it, it's always started as women, uh, female comics over the age of 50. But I, you know, what's interesting is when I was first doing this back in the day when it was just a live show, I was writing down all of my friends that were over 50. And then um, then a bunch of my friends who were in their 40s were like, how come we're not on that? And I was like, you're too young. <laughs> so I do have some women over 40 because really the, the whole reason for women of a certain age was, is that in, well, like I, I do, what you, you know, the joke, because it was on the special, but basically, you know, um, uh, ageism uh, for women started at 15. So, um, so, so, so really it is women over 50, but I, there are, there, there have been women in their forties that have done the show too, because that's also an age where nobody looks at you. (laughs) Now I, I want to talk mostly about you and your journey, but before that, I will get one question that's not about you out of the way. Okay. What is you inside Amy Schumer, Mm -hmm. which was a sketch show on comedy central in the 20 teens came out with a sketch called Last Effable Day. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that or if that hit a certain pocket for you where she was meeting up with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tina Fey and Patricia Arquette, and they were kind of dealing with the same mm-hmm. subject. Did you feel like that handled it well? Um, 
You know, what's funny about that is that after I came up with the idea, everyone told me about that sketch because I think that sketch was before. I I don't really remember the time of it. I never actually saw the sketch. I was just yeah, I act until someone you feel like you've heard so much about it secondhand. Right. So then I did see it and I loved it. I thought it was really um, um, uh, on point. Um, But what they're dealing with, as opposed to what I'm trying to do is, you know, the, 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 they were dealing with the fact that as a, as a woman of a certain age, you're dealing with, uh, you know, being invisible and not, you know, being effable anymore. And what women of a certain age is, is, is showing people that's part of it. Of course, we were all very, you know, still, um, uh, effable for lack of a better word, but, um, but that wasn't what this was about. The, the reason I came up with the idea was there were so many women in comedy who are older, who are just amazing comedians and, and nobody's ever heard of them. And I wanted to make a place for women to be able to come out and have a, have a chance to say what they want to say. And what's funny about the audience is everyone just assumes that it's an older female audience and it's not, you were at the second, second taping, correct? Were you at both tapings? I don't I remember. First, I was at both of the Brooklyn. Okay. Campus. Okay. But you saw the crowd was mixed. It was older and there were, a, and because of where it was shot, especially uh, in Brooklyn, there were a lot of people in their twenties and thirties. So I, you know, I, I love the sketch. I think it's very funny, but I'm trying to give us more work because I think in general, uh, once you reach a certain age, regardless of whether or not you're a female or a male, the work isn't there anymore. You know, you, you know, like I've, I, I think there's a line in in this in the special. I don't remember if they cut it, if we cut it or not. But the line I have about um, the reason they gave, uh, you know, they gave a, there was so much interest in, in making sure the senior citizens were taken care of during the vaccine. It was the only time that older people were treated well. Now we can go back to being invisible and overqualified. <laughs> Because I have so many friends of mine who are older people who've left their business and they go, they've got these amazing credits and job, you know, not, and not just in show business. And, and, and the line is, well, you know, you're, you're a little overqualified for this, which means they don't want to pay you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they would rather have somebody who's 22 and fresh out of college that they can pay nothing. nothing. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and as you uh, joke, jokingly remind us in the third showcase even more funny women of a certain age. Uh, everybody's effable. <laughs> everybody's effable, but <laughs> but women in comedy do tend to become invisible. Yes, you're absolutely. effable but invisible. It's right, a- <laughs> right, right. And you know, so like I said, I I, I really hope that you know, just like I, I, I <laughs> after the first, I think it was the first or second special came out. It seemed to be that there were a lot of older women roles like, you know, Grace and Frankie and uh, Schitt's Creek and and um, and um, uh, hacks, you know, and I and I feel personally responsible. I'm like, you're welcome, America, (laughs) because I was, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, Hollywood is missing a huge market. First of all, let's just talk relationships, male, female. In every relationship that that uh, long married relationship, the husband basically whatever the wife wants to do is what's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we're in, we're the ones that have the money because if we're going to go out to a show or want to see a a movie or something, nine out of ten times the husband's like well, whatever she wants to do. 
So we're the ones that control the purse strings. And why are you not marketing to us? Why? Why is that? And so the fact that the show's been a hit and now we do have our third special is huge. It's like, yeah, I mean, this is the market. You know, and, and all of those three shows that I mentioned that had older female leads are huge hits. So get with the program, Hollywood. <laughs> well, and the the lead from your the lead from your first showcase for Showtime is now the president of SAG AFTRA. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly, but but you know, like you know, I I, I think you'd probably know this, but you know how Colbert, uh, Stephen Colbert says he calls it the Colbert bump. Like when right. somebody does, I, I, I do really feel like it's the funny women of a certain age bump because all of every one of my major stars in the show has gone on to do more stuff. Not that they couldn't, couldn't have done it without me, but it didn't hurt to mm-hmm. have them on the show. You know, um, Fran, um, you know, Caroline Ray is, uh, you know, is, I, what, oh, she, she just did a Christmas movie. Terry Hatcher's also doing a Christmas movie. You know, it's, 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 it's the funny women of a certain age bump. <laughs> now I was going back through our communications uh thanks to Google Gmail lets me do that really easily. The first email that I have from you is actually about someone else. It's about Rhonda Shear. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> that was and, a long time ago. And, and what I was fascinated by in preparing for our podcast is that up all night on USA, which was Rhonda's baby, that seems to be one of the few sh- credits you don't have. You, uh, you mean to be or, on, on the show with her? Yeah. Um, did you work which, on that show? Were you? Uh, did you perform on that show? Um, I did not. Um, we uh, we've been friends. For, we, you know, we were comics together in Los Angeles. And I think that when she went off to do that, I don't. And, and I could be talking out of my butt. I don't. I think I was already in Vegas when Up All Night was, excuse me, um, when that was on. But she didn't really have comics on the show. It was more, um, you know, it was basically her and Gilbert, if I remember correctly. It's been it's a long time ago. I mean, yeah, that's something. It was. Wow. And when you get to a certain age, a long time ago is just. It's yesterday. <laughs> a long time ago was yesterday, Sean. Okay. I, For... <laughs> yeah, my vague memories of it were it seemed to be kind of like stream of consciousness Mm-hmm. short clips of animation and other weird right. things. Right, right, right. And that was when, was that on, what network was that? Was that? USA. USA. That was when USA had, was just doing just doing uh, movies. They weren't even doing like, because there was a run, I want to say, in the mid-90s, early 2000s, where they had some really great um Series like Psych was on USA. Oh, right. But Burn Notice. They they ended up with, but 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 before that was when Rhonda was doing her show. Oh yeah, no. Back in the eighties, the cable channels had weird. Yeah, they didn't have much (laughs) (laughs) weird themes to them. They they weren't interested in original programming so much as just being like, if you like this kind of thing, that's what we got. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but you do. But I mean, you you rang up like all of the the credits that anyone in the comedy boom of the eighties would want to have pretty much. What? And uh, well, um, what's interesting about that is, is like I did all of those. And I remember this because when, when my husband and I, my husband wanted to have children like almost immediately when we got married and we got married um, in 84, 84. Yeah. And I was like, no, I have my career. I have my career. I have my career. And then I did like the, I want to say, early 90s 
I had done everything. I've done all the credits you're talking about. And I said to my husband, well, I'm not going to get back on any of this. This is how different it is in, was, was then in stand-up as it is opposed to now. I knew that I'd get back on every one of those shows, but I knew it was going to be a year because that was the rotation. Right. So I said to my husband, let me get pregnant now. <laughs> so I did. I got pregnant in uh, 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 summer of 91. Well, a little earlier than that, because my son was born in February of 92. But that was and then I was on TV like two months later. So that's what it was like back then that the uh, the um, even you know, anything like club work, you, you were in a rotation and you kept coming back to it. It's not like that now because I don't even know if there's a road anymore because it's, you know what I mean? Like every, everyone wants the next new TikTok star to be the, uh, you know, to be the headliner. You're like, but they have no material. <laughs> they just dance and then some music happens and they got 4 million views. Okay. That's what you want. Okay. All right. No problem. <laughs> well, well, take me back briefly then to 1984 when you got married and you told your husband that you have this career mm-hmm. at center stage. What was it? What was your career looking like in 1984? 1984. Well, I had started stand up in 79, which means I've been doing stand up for 42 years. <sighs> like I said, I, I, I like to say on stage, I could have killed pe- two people by now and been out of jail, but that's okay. Um, uh, I, I was a young comic. I mean, you, you know, you, I'm sure you know, comics talk about, you know, you don't really even hit your stride before you, you're in it 10 years. So I'd only been doing stand up five years, maybe. Um, but he he his mom um, is, is a Broadway conductor and um, one of the first people to buy Ms. Magazine. So he was perfectly fine with having a wife that was going to be going out late at night. And, you know, and he's a musician. So he he's he's in the business. It's, too. So he, I I would never have been with anybody that would have been like, what do you mean you're going out till two o'clock and you're going to be hanging out with guys at a bar? I wouldn't, I would never have, I would never have married that guy. I think I dated him in high school though. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so we, we just, you know, we got married in 84. I want to say, and like I said, because it's so long ago, um, uh, we ended up in Back okay, this is another difference of of what what's going on now as opposed to back then. The the unwritten rule in comedy was that um, once you had done everything you could in New York, which was you know basically doing the one nighters and being a regular at one of the major clubs, you went to L.A. You just that's what you did. That was the rule. You just okay, mm-hmm. you know, you just and and I don't. I don't even I don't even it wasn't even like going there to write or it was just that's where you went next to get your sitcom. That -hmm. was the unwritten rule Um, that never happened. But uh, that's okay. Uh, Not bitter at all. And um, so I went to L.A. to be bitter if you wanted to have the sitcom. Yeah, exactly. Well, because that's how Roseanne got hers was by being bitter. So maybe you should have been bitter. I know. I I was always that, that, you know, look on the bright side of life. That's not helped me. So anyway, (laughs) um, yeah. So I ended up in LA. uh, I want to say, I think we left, I think we left it because this is how I, this is how I do everything in life. So my, my son was born in 92. My niece is, my older niece is, I think four years older than him. So I want to say 
88, maybe we went to LA and to try our, try my luck there. And that's where I started to do all the TV and stuff. But it, 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 when I talk about my past now, and I, I think of that girl, it, it, it age really does help you when, when you're in a business like this, because it's such a brutal business. And, you know, when I talk about, like, I wish I could go back to my, my, my young self and go, don't take any of it personal because it's not personal at all. It's, it's, you know, it's, are you a right type? Do you look the right type? Is, is the, uh, is the producer sleeping with, you know, the, the, the comics mother or, you know, there's like, there's so many different things. So I look back at that time and, you know, I was, I was regular at the improv and I was regular at the comedy store and I was a regular at the laugh factor. And I was doing all of that, you know, running around doing spots, doing the, the brick wall TV shows and everything. And my son, and then I had my son, by the way, this is, I love telling this story. When I got pregnant, I was told that I, I would, I would, that I would ruin my career if I had a child. And, right. you know, uh, yeah, I was like, what are you doing? You're, you're going to ruin. And then, gonna my, yeah, who's going to book me? And I was, I, I, I worked pregnant. I worked uh, up until my seventh month, I think, pregnant. Um, I mean, on the road, I mean, like on the road, you know, you know, chuckle huts and, and, you know, all the funny bones, all of them while I was pregnant. Um, I uh, had my son. I went back on the road. I think he was six weeks old. I took him with me. Um, uh, and uh, and then just continue doing just continue to do stand up. What the big change in my life and my career was I was. I was a road dog where I was on the road three weeks every month. And when I would leave, cause I lived in Los Angeles and I had to go back to the Midwest and the East, I would wake my little boy baby up and he was two or three years old. And he would, he would sob. He would be like, don't leave me mama. You know that he, he knew how to, to this day, he still knows how to get me like, like to guilt <laughs> me. And, um, and so I was in Las Vegas. I was working in Las Vegas at uh, the Riviera comedy club and I was getting, you know, comic. You know, all, especially the older road comics. We would take like pictures with us because we were gone so much. I'd want to have stuff. So I was. I'm putting everything away and I'm hanging, getting my hotel room where it feels like home. And I remember saying to myself, oh, you know, God, wouldn't it be good if I just didn't have to do the road, but I could still do comedy? And the next day, I got a phone call from the entertainment director of the Riviera saying that the comic who was next door, working in the burlesque show, she had gotten ill. I was going to be out for the summer. Did I want to replace her? And that turned into, you know, the 10 year run in uh, Las Vegas. And that was also a time when Las Vegas changed Mm -hmm. dramatically. So you got to see that up close. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, because in the, in before I am a certain age, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 1971 baby. So I, Yes, am, you are. I am a certain age. And so the first time I was in Las Vegas was 1993. And I remember that was just when it started to change from being this rat pack, mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. a place where adults go to, oh, no, it's for everybody. But then it also mm-hmm. more at the same time morphed into the whatever happens in Vegas stays right. in Vegas. So as an entertainer, what was that like? <laughs> entertaining well, through the transition of that. Well, what's so great about that is that I remember there was a part that, that I, I totally forgot about that. I'm glad you brought it up about um, that. It became family friendly for like a minute. Right. Because 
I remember, this is before I was actually working, living there, the MGM Grand decided they were going to change the theme of the hotel to the Wizard of Oz. Yes. And there was, there was, a, there, there, were, there was a, a... I still a, think of it that way. Is it not that way? <laughs> no. But there was a statue of, of, of you know, of Dorothy and, and the characters right out front. Yeah. They had, they had um, child care. You, you could pay to have your kid in like a childcare situation. Um, by the time I got there to live there, it had already started to change. So it was, uh, my son was four when we moved there. So 96, because I, now I, I, I the, the, when I, by the way, I always love telling the story about Vegas, the entertainment director of the Riviera when I, when I got my gig was Steve Sharippa. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah. I was just about to say, when I hear the rib, I think. Yeah. And I, and I so, call it the rib. I think Steve Shrippa. Right. Right. I don't think and, of and, the Sopranos, I think. Yeah. Oh, the, the guy right. who does the rib. Right. Exactly. And he, um, you know, he's like my guardian angel. You know, we're, we're very we're still close friends to this day, but he's always he always looked out for me. So. um, So when he called me and said, do you want to do this for the summertime? I said, the only the I said, of course, because it was, you know, you know, great money and you'd stay home. I said, I have to bring my kid. So the summer that summer before I actually signed a contract and stayed there, we lived at the Riviera. Me and my son lived at the Riviera Hotel. And every morning we'd wake up, we'd go have breakfast in the cafeteria. And then I'd bring him to the pool and I'd sit at the pool all day because he was four years old. And he thought, this is great. I'm living in a hotel. We get room service. <laughs> it was so, it was such a, like, it, it was a wonderful time. But there was no childcare anymore, like in the hotels, because it had already changed. So I found the one preschool that had childcare till midnight. It was like a preschool, but then because there were so many people who work at night and they have kids. So on Saturday night, because we had three shows, I, I had a friend of mine watch my kid because I had I, I, I couldn't get to them. Like like if if I didn't show up at 12 o'clock, they put them out on the street. I mean, <laughs> it's like a parking garage where the gates go. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so it's so funny to me that, you know, for a while they were like kids, kids, kids. And now they're like, screw kids. We don't care. I was bizarre. Very bizarre. Now it's all bachelor and bachelorette parties. Or, oh, yes. I don't know what Vegas is like now. You know, I, I haven't been back in a while. We still have very good friends there that live there. Um, it's, it's, it's probably the same thing, only younger, like, to, you know, there's probably the people that like we when we went there, but mm-hmm. now we're too old and we look at them and go, why are they letting 12 year olds into the casino? Why is that girl wearing, you know, why can't I, why do, why can't, why do I see her little belly button ring? You know, like that type of stuff. So yeah, it's probably mostly bachelor and bachelorette, but people want to party all the time, which is not uh, something I like to do anymore. <laughs> so when did you first feel like you had hit a certain age as a woman in comedy was it after was it after leaving las vegas um that's a really great question um what happened was is so we stayed in vegas for 10 years so at this point uh lane is 14 i i was i think i was 48 when we moved well i can tell you in a minute because i'm now i have to add this is terrible 63 minus 15 is 48 mm-hmm. yeah okay so i was 48 uh, we wanted to move back to New York City because uh, uh, 
I wanted my, my son was going, got accepted to a really great private school here in the city. And, um, and that shows you how bad the schools have gotten Vegas that I would rather him go to school in New York city because <laughs> they had great schools up until like they, they changed superintendents and it, it, it started to get bad again. Anyway. So we ended up um, coming back to New York and so I'm 48 years old. And like, and this was so bizarre to me, Sean, you know, I'd been a road comic my whole career up until the, I left Vegas and I mean, working constantly, same, like I said, come back, come back, you know, the same, you know, whatever, two dozen rooms. And all of a sudden I come back to New York and I'm not considered a, a national headliner anymore. I was like, uh, but I, I, I did. And, and that's when I, the, the, the tide started to change for, for road comics like myself, because so we're talking, we moved back in 2006. I, I'm going to say, I think the internet, yeah, the internet was happening and there were all of these other ways to do comedy. And so all of a sudden I wasn't getting the work anymore. A mixture of the, the internet happening mm-hmm. and, um, and also my age. So that's around 40. When I first got back here, I started to see the writing on the wall. And so I started preparing myself because I wasn't going to stop doing stand up. Like I literally just said this last night. I'm teaching again. And I said to them, there's nothing else I can do. I've tried. I really have. I have no other skills than comedy. So I started to uh, to develop, uh, develop solo shows. I started to direct. I started to teach. I didn't come up with the idea for funny women until I was 57. So it's the type of thing where, you know, all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I have to start juggling some of these things because otherwise I'm not going to have a career. Right. So so you just said it took you almost a decade after you came back to New York. Yep. Before you figured out what the next iteration of your career was. Absolutely. Who, Who and who was telling you that you're resume didn't mean anything was it club bookers or was it agents and managers casting people all of them all of them every single you're not a national headliner anymore and I had and I most of my credits were still major major credits it it, it, the the yeah it it, it was all of it it was the bookers it was the people um who were who were booking me the agents and the managers and and I was I I was I, I I couldn't understand I was like what are you talking about I mean I was just you know, I was just I was starring in two different Las Vegas reviews and I had dozens of credits before that. And you're telling me that no one's going to come see me. I was seen by my husband. and I figured it out because he's a he's one of those numbers people. And we figured out just at, just at Crazy Girls Alone, which is the first show I did in Vegas. I was probably seen by five million people because we were doing 13 shows a week for five years. And you're telling me all of a sudden, no. Well, you're, you're not, you're, it, it was mind boggling. Yeah, because now you can go on a show like America's Got Talent. And the yep. prize for that is they send you back to Vegas. Right, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's a, it, it, you know, I, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a totally different time now to be a comedian. So how did you, how did you get, how did you not quit? <laughs> in that period between 48 and 57. Well, I'm a stubborn, stubborn person. <laughs> and I was like, you're not making, I, I, been, this, I, I, I didn't quit 
there were a couple of times that I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I think every comic who's been doing it a long time says that there was a, a tiny blip in, I, I want to say five years ago where I worked behind the scenes and I was working as, as an agent for a touring company because my husband's mother had had a stroke and uh, the, the office was a block and a half from my apartment. And I figured, because I, I, I couldn't go on the road, my husband uh, works on Broadway and he was in the middle of rehearsals for the opening of School of Rock. So this is how long ago this was because he was there for the entire run. Mm-hmm. So he was gone all day. So I couldn't go on the road because if something happened, they could, he would, there's no way he could leave. So I was like, you know what, I'll take this job. Uh, you know, if God forbid there's a problem, she can call me, I can get right home. So I did do that for about six months. But one of the reasons, and I'm really glad I did this. I, I'm glad I, I worked on the other side because it taught, it really prepared me. I learned so much about the business on the other side. It was really great. I learned so much about it, but I realized I was like, if I'm working this hard for other people, why don't I just do this for myself? And that's when I went back to stand up full time. And when did when did the, the Funny Women of a Certain Age started as a live, just a yes. live monthly show, right? Correct. And when when did you start doing that? So so what happened was, is I was doing a podcast and everyone always says, what was a podcast? And I don't remember, but I was doing a podcast with a bunch of other women and we had the best time. It was it was it was all other comics. And uh, and and we were just we just had the best time. We were laughing and doing war stories and stuff. And I was coming home from the, from the podcast and I called my husband. I said, I know so many women that are my age and older that are still in the business, still pounding the pavement. This should be a show. So (laughs) my husband heard me tell so many like ideas and I knew it was something when he went, this is really good idea. (laughs) Like you're like he knew it like it, it was one of those. So so I started talking about it. And then um, there was a I don't know if you remember this festival. Do you remember the Cinderblock Festival? That was a couple of years. It was in Brooklyn. Yes. OK. So Corey Spencer and I had got the woman who created that. Uh, we, had, we were talking online and everything. And I said to her, I said, I'm doing this show. And she said, why don't you premiere it here? Because I hadn't done it yet. I had not even done a live version of this. I just had the idea. She said, why don't you do that? She goes, I know that Judy Gold is going to be part of um, the festival. And so is Janine Garofalo and they're older comics. And so then I added myself, Rhonda Handsome. I, I think there was somebody else. We, As a joke, we had a millennial hosted, a young lady named Jamie Manalis. Um, and, and we did the show and it sold out and everybody loved it. Everyone was like, this is a great idea. And then somebody who was working at the festival said, oh, I work at the Crane Theater. I think my boss would love this show. And she hooked me up with him. We did a we did a show um, in December of 2017. And he offered me a residency. He said, I'll give you a monthly residency. And I think we're starting our fifth year next year. So you started the, sh- the, the residency in 2017. And then the first Showtime special came about by 2019. So Correct. were the gears already in your head in terms of how to turn this into something or or was well, it you, uh, circumstances just made it possible you know what I, as somebody who's been in the business a long time and 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 you and you have been part of this a long time too so you know that everything takes forever right mm-hmm. this did not 
this ha- yeah i just did the math 2017 and then march of 2019 this is on showtime so that's pretty quick yeah yeah so um it it had it happened really fast like that's why i uh, you know when i told you when my husband went this is a really good idea it was we we wish that it happened so fast was mind-blowing to me but basically what happened was so we did the showcase in december uh not the show I, you, the first time we do uh uh the the live show and I, uh, a gentleman named Dave Goldberg from Killer Bunny. I, I've, I'm sure you've done, uh, you've, you've seen some of the shows from Gotham Live. Mm-hmm. He was the production company that, that ran those shows at Gotham. Okay. And we had, we had met years ago because I had helped him produce, um, a comedian named, uh, Shang Forbes. I was supervising producer on Shang special. That's how we became friends. And Dave and I met and we just, he's like my kid brother. You know what I mean? Like we just, from the moment we met, we've been friends. And whenever I had an idea for anything, I always would go, hey, I've got this idea. And he would check it out. And even when I was working as the agent, we throw ideas back and forth. So, I, you know, I stopped doing the agency stuff. I come up with this idea and um, I, I said to him, I said, hey, you know, I think you, I think you should come see the show. And he came to the show and he said, this should be a TV show. So we ended up having a show. Somebody had suggested, why don't you do a showcase at the crane? <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and invite. The industry. So we did a showcase at the Crane in February. Um, uh, we I, I, one other thing because I'm t- I want to make sure I have the timeline right. Uh, the first show we did, we did the we did the show at the festival. We met with Showtime in November. Then we did the first show. So Dave already liked it before he even saw the show. He said, "This is this is absolutely a TV show." We met with Showtime. They liked the idea. But, you know, they weren't, you know, the thing, um, Showtime doesn't do a lot of comedy the way like Netflix does. They basically do like maybe six, maybe eight specials a year. So um, they they were like, well, you know, we, we, you know, there was no room for us. So when we did the showcase in February, everybody was there. HBO, Showtime, Lifetime. We had CNN there. They were thinking about doing a documentary. Amazon was there and everything. And, uh, Vanessa Hollingshead, who you know, I'm sure mm-hmm. she it was very fun. I did not tell the ladies that this was a showcase, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, because you don't want to tell comedians that, like, <laughs> you know, a lot of stuff is on the line. <laughs> so no, it's just a regular um, show, just a regular, it's a regular show. show. So it was Veronica Mosey, Leanne Lord and Vanessa Hollingshead. And um, and it was all industry. And there happened to be I want to say I, I don't know what, which network they were from, but there were three women in the front row who were young girls. And Vanessa just blew the house off. I mean, she just went after them and just it was it was a magical moment because you could just it was and the crane is tiny. It's a tiny, tiny theater. And you could just hear the laughter, you know, reverber, reverberating. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Um, on the, I mean, it was an, it was an amazing night and Showtime was there and and pretty much. Showtime was interested. Amazon was interested. Um, I'm sure there were other people. I can't remember. I just remember at one point, Amazon was thinking of possibly putting this on as like a sister show to Maisel. Um, and then, right. um, that would, uh, yeah, right. It would have been great. Sense. So in the <laughs> end, when we had all of these different offers, I said to Dave, I said, look, Showtime gave me my first break. Because there was a show, um, I, I don't know if you remember this. You probably do, because you're of an age. Do you remember when they used to do the Showtime Comedy Club Network? Do you remember that? 
I remember seeing the words, but I don't. Okay. So basically what Showtime, uh, because it, when cable was new, HBO had the young comedians. And so Showtime wanted to do something like that. So they had the Comedy Club Network. So the Comedy Club Network basically went to different clubs all over mm-hmm. the country. And they, you know, and they shot it and it was a series. Oh, and then the every club, year in the clubs and then every every at the end of every year they had the, the all-stars so i ended up being on showtime's uh the comedy club network six and that's the one that rickles hosted and somewhere i have a picture of me and rickles and i cannot find it but it's somewhere someday i'll post it um so i i said to dave i said we you know i said i want to go with the the network that gave me my first break and that's why we ended up with showtime and they got you know what they did they they have not they could have not been they got the show from day one from day one, they got the show, you know, and they let us do whatever we want. It's it's kind of really awesome. And they've and you've done it three years in a row. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we, you know, because twenty twenty was well. I guess yeah, you're right actually, because it 20, is 2019, 2020, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, and now twenty twenty one. Right, because I forget because the pandemic was just such, you know that we our show premiered on March fourteenth and March sixteenth, the world shut down. So I, I, I look at this, under the wire for 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it is, I, you're right. I forget you're right because it's airing in 2021. We've done it three years in a row. I like that, Sean. I'm going to use that. <laughs> so does, does this mean that we're already hard at work on, on next year's or, or is well, it too early yeah. for you to be thinking that this is just going to be something you do every year for the rest of your life or. You don't know what well, Showtime your- is going to be like next year, so. Right. I mean, I, of course, would love to do this every year. You know, I think I, I, I think that the longer we do this, there, there's even more comics that become eligible to. Um, I would love to. I mean, sure. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, but it does. It does. Um, ratings have a lot to do with it. Um, the 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 um, what's the word? The, what 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 the world is, you know, I mean, I would I would love to do I would love to do this where we shoot six of them, in, you know, in, in a week. So this way we have them. And because what happened with the pandemic is when we so we did the first special in 2019 and then we shot the second special that same year. We the 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 first special aired in March of 2019. We shot the second special in October of 2019, and then the pandemic hit, and nobody knew what was going on. So I keep going. Well, if we put a bunch of them in the can, then if God forbid that somebody else eats a bat, we have uh, we have some more uh, content for you because nobody remember during the pandemic they were, everything was shut down. Nobody had content. So I keep pushing for it. I mean, I will tell you my wish list, of course. You know, I mean, if I could get Lily Tomlin, then I'd be like, all right, I'm done. I can quit now. I've met Lily Tomlin. I would love to have her do one of them or even Betty White. But, you know, she's going to be 100 soon. That's a good time to do it. (laughs) That's a good time to do it. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to. And I I, I do think, um, you know, every time we do do one of these shows, everyone is so great. The audience... well, you know this because you were at the first two. You see the way the, they're so happy t- to see these these women who've been around. Some of them people know, some of them don't know. But these are all great comics. Do you know what I mean, Sean? Like really, there, there, there's none of that. You know, you you go to a comedy show sometimes, and if it's a newer comic, they're like, um, so what do I want to talk about now? 
Oh, and you're like, okay, no, these women came up, they introduce them, they do their job and they get off. And there's, there's no fat to the joke. There's everybody just kills and just the audience just keeps going. And why not have more of that? Why not? Why not? Um, I don't want to keep you much longer, but I, I, I feel like I've I have nowhere to be. I have I nowhere to ask, be. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, Marsha Warfield, who's yes. great. Amazing. Uh, also did, did you a great uh, service in uh, shouting out your branding as national mom? <laughs> <laughs> so I, so in that spirit, I, I just want to like close by asking, do you, at this, at this age, mm-hmm. at this certain age that you have, do you get more out of promoting other comedians than your own career? Does that mom aspect carry over? Because not only are you giving these women a platform on Showtime, I mean, you are, you are remembering to give yourself an 11, 12 minute set. So that's good, Anya. But then you're also, you know, you mentioned Shang, but you've also worked with other comedians on their specials or on their one person shows. Mm-hmm. So at this age, do you really get more rise out of like the maternal aspect of helping other comedians? Well, what's funny about that, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the thing about me being in every show. So, so and, 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 and honestly, that's not me. That's Showtime. They, 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 they said, this is your show. And you need to be the 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 thread or whatever we will call it. Um, so so which is uh, uh, to me, it's like, OK, you know, I mean, because I, I have I have no ego about the show. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I could have easily not done the show, but they were like, we want you're the face of the show. So that's why I'm on it, which is so funny. But that and that the material that you saw, that was brand new stuff. I wrote that during the pandemic because I don't remember my act. I hadn't done my act in over a year. So I sat down with my husband who writes for me mm-hmm. uh, and my, and Vanessa Hollingshead and a bunch of other comics. And I said, we have to write me a new act. Uh, and I had to do these, all of these on zoom. It was like, I was a 20 year old comic again, Sean. I was, mm-hmm. I won, I won, I went to every, every crappy bar show in the city and just, Worked it. I remember one time I had to take the G train. This is why it's so annoying. I was in Astoria and then I had to take a G train to get all the way to Park Slope in Brooklyn because I was working on the set. So that was all new, brand new material. But to get back to your question, um, I love helping people. It it, it probably early on in my career, it was a detriment. Like I'll run into comics that I don't even remember when I was a road comic. They were like, you let me sleep on your floor because the booker wouldn't give the opening act uh, a hotel. And, you know, I'm like, well, that's not going to work. You're going to have to sleep on the floor with me. You know, you know, like I, I, I don't ha- I don't know how not to help somebody. So I do love performing. I, you know, and and I'm having a lot of fun now because it's I never considered myself a writer. So the fact that I that I sat down and went, OK, I don't remember my app. We have to write 10 new minutes for television. And it worked as well as it did on the special. And I have something to tell you about that also about the special. I'll tell you in a minute um, is, is thrilling for me. But to see these other women shine brings me more joy than anything. Because, yeah, you're probably right. It's the maternal thing. My son's grown now. 
you know, he's he's a grown man. You know, he doesn't need me as much. So I, I like that. It may, you know, when I I was watching because we hit, when we were going through the editing and everything, I watched the shows because the one thing I didn't like about the Irvine Improv and they were wonderful, but there was no place like in the Bell House you could go back, you could be backstage and then go through a hallway and sneak in and watch. Mm-hmm. There was no place for me to do that. So I never got a chance to actually see the women. I heard them because I was standing in the back listening. So to watch these women, and like I told you, like in every single show this has happened, they shine like, it's just, it's like, wow, look at that. They, they, because they, they know that, because I've said to them, you do whatever you want. There's no judgment. This is half, do whatever you feel is your funniest. And they all came through. So that's amazing. So the other thing, can I just tell you this one thing, what happened at the taping? I don't oh, know. If, you're, you will, you of all people will love this. So I'm doing the taping, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm on my, you know, the audience was amazing. And I'm having, and, I, 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 and I'm not one of these comments that go, I kill all the time. I'm having the set of my life. My, the set, uh, I mean, I, everything is just hitting and nailing and applause breaks. And all of a sudden, I look to the, the, the to the right of me, and I see my director doing this. We, I, I'm, this is a podcast. She's waving her hand fran- <laughs> frantically. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, because, like, you know, as comics, we'll tell you this, how we we think and we're doing our act, but we're also thinking. And in my head, I'm doing my act. And I, I remember thinking to myself, she shouldn't be over there. She should be in the sound booth in the back. And I'm still, I'm having this amazing set, and I see it out of the out of the corner of my eye and finally I just stop and I go, what do you want? And she goes, there's a light. It blew out behind you. We have to, we had to stop the taping. <laughs> and I'm, and I, nobody's hearing this. The audience is like, what's going on? Right. You know? And I said, what? And so she, ha- now I said, come out. And now, mm-hmm. you know, she's a director. She's not used to being on front of camera. She goes, and I give her the mic. She goes, um, the light blew out. We have to stop taping. We have to redo it. <laughs> so so I go, okay. And I look at the audience. I said, listen, this is TV taping. So, um, you know, this happens. I said, so we're going to start from here. And then we're going to do it again. And then mm-hmm. she goes, no, you have to start from the beginning. <laughs> so now I'm like, I... After a few few choice curse words, we, and the audience is hysterical laughing because I'm like at this point just like are you? I mean like I am just I, I am I am cursing like a sailor. Are you effing? Are you just? I mean, <laughs> just and she and she's just standing there like wide eyed because she doesn't want to be there. And she knows. So I said okay, and I explained to the audience that here's what happens. There's a TV taping. You have we're going to redo this, but you have to act as if. You've never heard this before. <laughs> and now, at this point, I, this is all adrenaline, because if I had had a moment to think about it, I would have said, somebody get me a razor because I'm going to slip my wrist now. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's going to be a whole other series, you know. But it was so mind boggling. And I went, give me a second. Let me give me a, you have to give me a minute because I have to just. And in my head, this is the only, <laughs> I, was, I was like. I don't remember any of my, <laughs> I couldn't remember a thing. And that's why I said, give me a minute. And I mm-hmm. just, I went, okay, hold on a second. Let me, 
Let me just take a moment and see. And she, I said, Kristen, go back to the sound booth now. And, um, and I took a moment. I, the audience saw me take the moment, which I think is why it ends up being the set that you see. And I, I, I did the, I, I, I took my moment and I started as if nothing had happened and they could not have been kinder. They laughed more the second time. It was amazing. I guess this is when I should tell you that I, I, I forgot to hit record, so we're going to have to oh, I will, I will. start this interview from the beginning. <laughs> Carol Montgomery, thank you so much for joining my podcast. Uh, thank you really, so much. I re- really appreciate it and uh, love that you're, you're, you've done this show and, and gotten it on Showtime three times. And, thank you. And if Terry Hatcher's mom is wondering, I am available. But only if Terry Hatcher's mom asks. (laughs) Oh, that's great. You see now for the people listening, you're going to have to watch the show to understand what we're talking about. Because we gave you a couple of spoilers and now you have to watch the show. So watch it. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.